Amen. Thank you. This morning, I want you to turn with me again in your Bibles to Exodus, Exodus 34. And as you're turning, I see a lot of familiar faces this morning. It's good to see each and every one of you. Uh, I will uh, call out a few and I may miss a few, but it's wonderful to look up after a rough month or two uh, and see Philip. Uh, running our sound this morning and recovered. Uh, it's good to see Rita and Bruce here having gone through COVID as well. And uh, we thank the Lord for that. Uh, and so many others who have been through uh, many trials and tribulations. And uh, as Andrew mentioned, uh, don't forget to pray for the Rogers family. There are no... Um, arrangements as of yet, and we will let the church know uh, via uh, constant contact and through social media and things like that uh, as soon as we know it. But the greatest thing we can do is just encourage them in prayer, continuing to pray for many others. Uh, this morning as we turn, we're going to do a little bit of a survey over a couple of chapters, not the entire chapter, but kind of a running story. You know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the golden calf. We talked about how that they had uh, taken their eyes off the Lord when and how they had failed miserably, and yet the Lord came, and uh, the Lord was still there, and he didn't abandon them. Well, we want to go in after that story and kind of look at a few things. And, uh, but first, I want to ask you a question. And I, I want a show of hands. How many of you cannot play an instrument, guitar or piano or something? How many of you cannot play? All right. Now, which one of you want to come try? You ready? Come on, we, we can turn it back on. No, no volunteers? I mean, really, you want to try. We would love for you to come try this morning. Well, that's kind of what I thought. Have you ever noticed, especially in the day that we live in, how many people are experts at telling everyone else how to do everything but never attempt to do anything themselves? Well, I want you to understand something. In the body of Christ, if you are saved, you are called. You are called unto his purpose. You're called to serve the Lord in the specific giftedness he has given you. And don't begin to tell anyone, especially the Lord, that he's not given you a gift. You may not have discovered it, or you may just haven't listened, but God's word is very vividly clear that if he has saved you, he has called you. He has equipped you, He has gifted you for every good work, but God gives you supernatural gifts. You say, well, I just, I don't believe I can do this. That's what makes it a God-sized gift. When He gives it, you don't get any credit because only you can do it when God equips you with His Spirit. That's why it's called a spiritual gift. This morning I want us, as we move forward, to be reminded as we move forward that it's not just a wild run through life. Many people are running through life and they are going to and fro, the scripture says, and have no idea where they're going. They spend their whole life wondering and yet never pausing to say, God, what would you have me do? And so this morning, I want us to look for a moment at how we must, as we run this race of life, stay in our lane. Stay in your lane. Now, as we have read throughout the book of Exodus, we have seen over and over how God did great things, and then how the people pulled back. But I want you to understand in this whole journey, in the Exodus, that God's will for Israel was threefold. You know, when you're running a track race, 
you line up. Let's say that you're running 100 yards or 100 meters or you're running a, a 4 by 400 or whatever the race may be. You line up. You do not step over the line. And at the exact moment, the starter will fire the gun. But too often in our lives, we jump the gun. When you jump the gun, it's a fault. And it does not count, and you have to start over. And you don't get but that one start over when it comes to track. Some of us are working on our hundreds and thousands of starting over because of the Lord's grace and mercy. But I, I want you to understand, and I think MacArthur said it, and I read it somewhere this week, that the scripture that says the, weak, uh, the flesh is weak is not an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to live any way you want because you say, well, the flesh is just weak. It should be a motivation to walk in the Spirit. <coughs> God's will throughout this journey was threefold. Number one, what do you think God's will was for Israel? That they would be released from bondage. They jumped the gun on so many things in their life. They wanted to do it their way, their timing, and however they wanted. Listen, when things got rough, they wanted to go back to bondage. Right? They jumped the gun. They didn't want to see what God was going to do through their lives, through the ragged, rough things that they were going through. I mean, it got to the point that they thought they would thirst to death. It got to a point they thought that they would starve to death. They got to a point they thought that Pharaoh would overtake them. They came to so many crossroads, and so often they said, let's just go back. God's purpose was not for them to come out and go back. God's purpose was to release them from bondage. God's trying to set you free from something today, and you are doing your best to fight and go right back into the bondage that you daily complain about. Number two, God's will for Israel's journey was to enter into the blessing of His promise. He said, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. Did He not say that? And they saw that and come back and said, surely God's word is true. It does flow with milk and honey. Man, it is unbelievable. But when they began to depend on themselves and to see themselves in the eyes of man, rather than to see themselves in the hand of God, they refused to go forward. Ten out of twelve spies said, no, we can't go. They're giants. We're as grasshoppers. What excuse are you giving yourself, your family, your church today in why you can't run your race according to God's time? You jump the gun. You fault out because you're depending on yourself. But then the third and the one we're going to kind of deal with today is that God's will was for them to worship the one true God. That's what Mo Moses told Pharaoh. That's what God told them. You're to come out and worship me. You're to come worship me. But when challenged with uncertainty, they worshiped idols. They jumped the gun. How many of us have prayed for something day in, day out for weeks? Only to have give up and say, God's not hearing my prayer. God's not going to do it. Because we look at our time frame and not God's. And we jump ahead in the fear that if we stay here, nothing will happen. I'm here to tell you today, God doesn't need your advisement. God has never needed, never has he ever needed the counsel of mankind. God is God. Amen? And whether it's COVID, whether it's who the president is, whether it's what the church should do, whether it's what your giftedness is, God has a plan. And we must not jump the gun. And so what do we do? Look in chapter 34. After we jump the gun, it's time to reset. When I 
when I was an RA director, when God called me to preach, I wanted to do everything. Man, I was so happy to, that God had released me from the bondage. Because I'm going to tell you, when I ran from God for two years, and if you're running from God, hear what I'm about to tell you. This is why you came today. If you're running from God's call on your life, you are in the most dangerous, miserable position known to mankind. You're in the position of Jonah, running from God. You're in the position of Balaam. You're in the position of so many. You're in that position. I got all your attention now, don't I? See what happens when you're in the way? Just get kicked aside. For two years, I ran from God. And I'm going to tell you, still to this day, that was from the age of 17 to 19. And I'm now 56. And those were the two longest, most miserable, rebellious, spirit-quenching days of my life. And the moment I surrendered to God, man, I just, I want to do anything that God wanted me to do. And so I signed up for everything. And in a Baptist church, they'll let you. And listen, I've told you this before. I signed up for everything but the director of the Women's Missionary Union. And if they would have let me, I'd have done that too. I was on the Building Grounds Committee. I was on the Executive Committee. I was on this committee and that committee and the committee on committees and nomination committees and I was the RA director. And I did nothing well. Nothing. And God convicted me of it and I went to the pastor and I said, I can't do all this. He said, yeah, you just need to hear from God on that. I said, well, this is what God's calling me to do right now. Preach the gospel and teach his word on Wednesday night to these boys. And so I focused all my attention on the RAs. And God's blessing was upon it. And we saw the RAs fill up. We'd have 30 to 50 boys on Wednesday night. And we saw great things. And we would do so many activities. And we'd go camping and we'd go fishing. And do those things. Men, we've got to be pouring into these young men. And one of the things we did was we began, and in the, in the whole state of Georgia at the time they had, RA track meets and you would have associational track meet and then if you qualified you'd go to a sectional track meet and then if you qualified you would go to the state track meet and we won our association and we won our sectional and so we ended up on the big stage of the RA track meet against the biggest churches in the state of Georgia unlike some of the feel good movies that we've watched we did not win it But we had about 10 athletes, and the bigger churches had about 30. And if you know anything about track and field, it's the total scores over all the events. And so we were just outnumbered. But we had more gold medals than they did, and we saw great things. One of the, the biggest thing that sticks out in my mind, how happy my, my boys were with all their trophies hanging around their neck when they called them up to the, to the platform and called their name from Corner Baptist Church and put the gold medal or the silver or the bronze medal around their neck. But the one thing that stands out more than that is I was standing there coaching my brother-in-law, which is seven years younger than me. And he actually competed in track and field in high school and he did the long jump. And so he was competing in the long jump there at the state meet. And he went and as he went down the, the path to jump, I was standing right at, there's a white line about this big, and you can't touch that white line or you scratch the first time, right? You scratch, you get another attempt. And I saw it. His toe was about that far over it. Great jump. And so I sat there, and I, said, I went and talked to him. I said, listen, you just got to get your timing a little better. Man, you're going to blow them out of the water. Relax, even 75%, you're going to win this thing. And so we got ready, and they called his name, and he comes up. I said, just remember, you know how to do this. You, you do it all the time. Just have fun. 
And so it came time, they turn him loose, he runs down the path. I literally was standing there over the line. The judge was standing on the other side and I was standing over the other side and I watched him come and plant his last footstep and then jump. And as he jumped, he broke every state record in Georgia for the RAs. He jumped 21, almost 22 foot, I think, something like that. It was remarkable. It was, I mean, he, he bested uh, his best record by over a foot. And that was it, man. Wow. And all of a sudden I look and the judge is holding up a thing and says, scratch. And I about lost my ordination. Because as I watched, his toe was that far from hitting the line. Now I want to tell you, in God's economy, God will never see it wrong. Okay? When you do it right, God will see it. And sometimes, after that first time, I saw him put his foot on the line. He, he did. And so they reset, and he went back. Sometimes in our life, we've crossed the line. That's what transgression is. To trespass. To go where you're not supposed to go. To cross a line that says, posted, keep out. God had posted that tree in the garden and said, don't go, and they trespassed. God had told Israel not to go in some things, and they did it anyway. Yet here in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 34, the Lord said unto Moses, do you remember what Moses did when he came down off the mountain? What did he go get? He went and got the tablets, right? He went and got the Ten Commandments. God gave him the Ten Commandments. And so when he came down and he saw the idol, he was furious. You ever broke something when you're mad? Boy, I have. I mean, there's been many a coffee cup and cordless phone die at my hands. You see, Moses had a righteous indignation and threw the tablets down. And yet here, after all of that, the Lord said unto Moses, go and cut you two, stone, two tablets of stones likened to the first. And I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which you broke. And be ready in the morning be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to meet me in the top of the mount. Listen, some of us here today, I've got wonderful, glorious news. Today is your day to reset. It's a day to reset. Well, how do we do that? Number one, we must be listening. It said, the Lord said unto Moses, and Moses responded, we must hear what God's trying to tell us today. Through Sunday school, through music, through prayer, through reading God's word, through the preacher, whatever God is using, we need to be listening. What is God telling you? But then we need to be humble. Because he reminded Moses, look at this. He said, go, go and cut two, two Pieces of stone like the ones you broke. Now I want you to understand something. God forgives us of our sin when we plead the blood of Jesus and ask him to forgive us. He forgives us. And he forgets that sin. But God allows us to be reminded through other things in this world through the consequences of our sin that we guard our hearts not to go back and do the same thing again. They say the definition of lunacy is to do the same things over and over, expecting different results. And we keep throwing God down. We keep throwing God's word down. And we keep running back. I want to tell you something. You keep rebelling against God. You keep demolishing that which God has built up in your life, you demolish the law of God in your life, there's going to be a day where God's had enough. We don't want to think about that, do we? 
And we want to shake our fist at God and say, God, how can you? How can we think that he would do any less in the depth and depravity of mankind? Listen, if we're going to reset, then there must be a level of humility about our life. He said, which you broke. I didn't break it. You broke it. But then we need to be ready. He said, be ready in the morning. Are you ready for what God's about to do in your life? Are you ready? I had a meeting with our men's ministry team Wednesday night. We'll be announcing something into the service. We now have our vision team solidified, and we'll be meeting a week from tomorrow moving forward. We now have most of our women, uh, women's ministry uh, in place and they're going to be meeting pretty soon and making plans for what God would have us to do. Uh, ladies at Eastside, we're moving forward with our youth and camp this summer. Men are going on a retreat in just a few weeks. I mean, great things are happening. Are you ready? Because the day is coming where the sun will rise on the day God's going to call you to action. You say, I'm just burdened about the lostness. Are you ready to share the gospel with that someone that God's going to give you a divine appointment with? Listen, we need to be ready. He said, present yourself. He tells us that in the New Testament, doesn't he? To present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Listen, once we've jumped the gun, and we are going to jump the gun, we need a reset, don't we? You ever need a reset? You ever just come before God, lay before his altar and say, God, I need a reset. Father, forgive me. Lord, I have failed you miserably today. And Lord, I hadn't even left the house yet. I, I don't know. They may be coffee in heaven because I'm kind of like that too. I mean, the first one just reminds me that I'm among the living. The second one kind of gets me motivated. And then the rest of them throughout the day is just because I think it's be right with God, drink coffee all day. And it's good. Present yourselves because that day is coming. But then know what you're running for. Look in chapter 35. I mean, Moses went up there, got him, come back down. Man, he's glowing. He's glowing. When you're with God, people's going to see it. They're like, wow, Moses. Dude, you look like you got a dose of a nuclear reaction. Man, your aura, you're just glowing. Because he had been in the presence of God. But then he tells us in chapter 35, look in verse 5. Take you from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it. An offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass, blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hairs, ram's hair, skin dyed red, and badger skin and wood. Listen, there are things we must have a willing heart to do what God's want us to do. To go forward where God wants us to do, go. And to be everything God wants us to be. But then the exact same verses in the previous chapter says this. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, stood with Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and mercy, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't that good? Aren't you glad that God is a merciful and gracious God, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and mercy, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin? But the verse doesn't end there. He said, and will by no means clear the guilty. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Listen, you need to know who you're running for. Number one, it's the Lord God. If you're trying to run a spiritual race for your wife because she's just happier when you do it, then you're running the wrong race. If you're running the race to keep your parents off your back, then you're not running the right race. If you're doing it to somehow believe that you can motivate God into forgiving you of your sin and giving you a place in glory because you worked really hard and you was really good, you got the cart before the horse. You see, you come understanding there is none good in you. You come understanding you cannot take a single step. You can't even breathe without the presence of, and the power of God on your life. And you cry out, Lord, save me. And that's when you begin to run your race. Listen, the Lord God is why you're running this race. It's why you read your Bible. It's why I preach every message. That's why our, uh, our uh, music leaders and those who sing and play are motivated to practice on Wednesday night, get here early on Sunday morning and prepare to lead us into the presence of God in worship. It's not about preparing a performance. It's about preparing their hearts to do the very best they can to present God in a place of worship. Listen, he said he's merciful and gracious. That means bestowing favor. I don't know if you understand it. Bestowing favor is to give you that which you did not deserve and cannot afford. That's being merciful and gracious. I've said it many times and I want to remind you again. We're not that big of a deal. We're just not. Listen, he's long-suffering. You know what that means. God loves us. And he doesn't turn his back and pitch a fit and stomp his foot at every single thing. Listen, now he judges every sin. He does not ignore. He does not turn his back. He's a holy God and it demands that he deal with it. But guess what? That's why Jesus died on the cross. And in that he's long-suffering. Two years I ran from God. In two years he was long-suffering with a rebellious, wayward, church-going teenager who rebelled against his parents, who rebelled against God. He was long-suffering with me. I didn't deserve it. I still don't. But he was abundant in goodness and truth. And God began to pour into my life. I, I read scripture that... I never could understand. Listen, you know, I preached for the first several years. I preached every major Bible story that I learned in vacation Bible school, Sunday school, and in the picture Bible book that my mom would read to me at night. That's what I preached. I had not been to seminary. I had not been to Bible college. So I preached what God led me to. The first message I ever preached was in John chapter 6 on the precious bread of life. That was January 1st, 1984. In May of 2008, I stood before the graduating class of Luther Rice Seminary and earning my doctorate degree, the, doc uh, the president asked me to read scripture and pray. And I opened my Bible and I read John chapter 6. And you want to know what? It meant even more to me and I was grasping even more 2008 than I did in 1984. And reading it today, it grows because God's word is living. Listen, he, he keeps mercy. That means he guards goodness. The world can't take his goodness out of your life. Read the story of the martyrs. He said, you can kill me, you can burn me, you can drown me, you can imprison me. But you can't take Jesus. Right? You can go through divorce, you can get COVID, you can get cancer, 
You can lose a job. You can be broke. You can have a wreck. Things can break. But the only way you lose your joy is to forfeit it. He said, count it all joy. When you go through all manners of trials and tribulations. Listen, he's forgiving. God will forgive you if you just come and humble yourselves. Then I want you to understand, he does not forget the sins of the unconfessed person. He said he will remember our iniquity. Church, don't wait till it's too late to seek God's forgiveness. Because he is the Holy Ghost. You can rationalize all you want. Well, you know, I just believe God is love. Well, yeah, he is. You're right. And I just believe that he knows I'm sincere. And he knows if I miss and stuff, I'm just, he knows that I really like to do these other things. I just believe God understands. Listen, if you believe that you can worship God on the lake, in the woods, on the beach, and everywhere else, instead of worshiping God along with your fellow believers, please don't say that out loud to me. Because God's word is very clear that we are to join together and not be like the others. That we need one another. And we are to join corporately in worship of God. And so what should we do? We can't be distracted. Luke chapter 34, verse 12. Take heed to yourself. What did we start the whole sermon with? All the people who know how to tell everybody else what to do. He said, take heed to yourself. What's the saying? You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. God said it first. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you go, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But you shall destroy their altars, break down their images, and cut down their groves. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. Tell me one person that did this. And it cost him God's glory. Tell me one that did exactly what God said right there not to do. His name was Solomon. Solomon married the wives of foreign lands. Solomon brought their gods into his house. And he polluted it. And he wrecked it. And listen, God was with him until he died. But oh, what a mess we got. Oh, what a mess Israel got. Jeroboam and Rehoboam. My friends, he's a jealous God. And he said, And thou take of their daughters unto your sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. I'm going to tell you something. It's much more important that you pray that your child marry a godly boy or girl than to marry somebody that's wealthy and you're worried about them taking care of them financially, get your priorities right. You want your children marrying people who are of like faith, who trust Jesus, or they will drag your child out into the world. It would be better for them to be single than to be unequally yoked. Listen, young people, you, we talk about high standards and two biggest standards. You need to lower it, you know, blah, blah, blah. You keep your standards right where God wants them. Who's going to send you somebody, the world or God? Listen, my friends, don't be distracted. Look at this next slide. He said to Beware. Beware of these things. There's some bad deals out there. Huh? Man, on paper it looks good. You go in partnership and then everything goes awry. Everything goes sideways. You say, I I don't understand. 
It's not just being unequally yoked in a marriage. It's being unequally yoked in business. Don't be surprised when the world sticks it to you. They hated God. They hate Jesus. They're going to hate you. Bad deals. Bad religion. My friends, I want to tell you something. My brothers and sisters, hear me today. There are things that sound really good on commercials. There's things that read really good in books that are as far away from truth as you can get. But it's camouflage because it looks like, oh, well, they're really family people and they're really loving and they're really kind. And this sounds really good. Stick with the truth and stay away from bad religion and bad Bad choices. But then next, I want you to remember. Remember the first slide? There was lanes. One, two, three. And big tracks, they'll be out to ten lanes. In certain races, you have, to, you have to stay in your lane. You have to stay in your lane. Today is the Daytona 500. And yeah, I don't care about it like I used to. But in this current climate, there's absolutely nothing else to watch. And so I may flip between golf, and it's become very politicized, and racing. And one thing about Daytona that's, and, and Talladega is different than every other racetrack, is they have a line that runs around the inside of the track. And when they're going through the laps... They cannot pass below that yellow line. And I have literally watched over the years, once they set that rule, guys, if you advance your position by going too low and crossing that line, you get out of the lanes where you're supposed to run, you will be black flagged, you will be penalized, and I've watched people lose the race because they crossed that line that much. The whole car wasn't down there. But to cross the line, did the whole car have to go? No. They just had to breach that line. You see, we think if we just tiptoe around the line and we just stick our toe over just a little bit, we'll be all right. My friends, we must know our lane assignment. Look at the next slide, chapter 35, verse 30. He said, Moses said unto the children of Israel, and I, this is what I really want you to get today. He said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge. And in all manner of workmanship, to devise curious works, very art, artistic works. You know that part where you get bogged down in Leviticus? There's a little bit in Exodus. There's some in Numbers. When he starts reading on how to build everything, and he starts talking about these little mice, golden mice and pomegranates and bells and hoops and loops and sticks and staves and gold. No, you don't overlay that with gold. You overlay that with bronze. You mold this, but you beat this. And on this lampstand, it has to go this way and it has to go that way. All of that had to be built according to God's word, right? Get this, watch this. So he filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, understanding, in the knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to devise these things, to build these works in gold, silver, and brass, and in the cutting of stones to set them in carving of wood to make any manner of cunning work. I want you to notice something. First of all, in verse 30, Moses said, the Lord has called him by name. God's called you. God's called you. You know what? I, one of the worst things I've seen in the Baptist church is we will not go to leadership. We think leadership has to come to us. Well, I, I, I'll be glad to do it, but I, I didn't want to say anything. 
Listen, if God's called you to something, speak up. I am not part of the triune God. I cannot read your heart nor your mind. I can't tell if somebody's saved or lost. I surely don't know what God's called you to. Y'all hear me? But what you can do is come and say, Pastor, I'd like to sit down and talk with you about what God may be calling me to do and leading me to. Now, it's up to my discretion to pray about where to do things and how to do it. I've had some people get mad and throw a fit because they said, this is absolutely, I'm going to tell you, God will reiterate it in my spirit as the leader and under-shepherd of this place, and he will not go against that. We're not on our own island. Now, if you want a pastor, I'll be glad to take a month off and let you try it. I think you'd probably call me and give it back pretty quick. But you know what? I don't want to do what God's called you to do. But make no mistake, he's called us all, right? And then he fills us. He fills Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful we have people who are filled with the Spirit who gets up and sings and plays and leads us? I love to look out over the congregation when we're doing it and see the joy of the Lord on people's face as the Spirit fills them to serve God. To see them filled with the Spirit of God, with youth and with children and with senior adults and whatever it may be, in greeting and serving. My friends, God called, God filled. Know your lane assignment. You're God equipped. It said God taught him how to do that. God taught him how to cut stones and how to cut wood. God told him how to work with brass and how to work with gold and silver. You ever heard this saying, he's a self-made man. He taught himself how to do it. There are some people who couldn't spell music theory, much less explain it to you, but can beat the ivories off of a piano. They call it playing by ear. They can't read music, but they can play. They can't show anybody else how to do it. It's just something they get. I'm going to tell you, God gives it to them whether they want to acknowledge it or not. God has equipped you. God has equipped you in this life to be the godly father, to be the godly mother, to be the brother, the sister, the child, the grandparent, the deacon, the pastor, the teacher. God has equipped you. Then God has empowered you. Speaking of teaching, he said in verse 34, he had put it in his heart that he may teach. So he began not only to do it, but to teach others. If one person has the giftedness, and they, ever, they never tell anyone else, the gift dies with them, doesn't it? And so we have interns. We have, in construction, they called them greenhorns or laborers. We have those apprentice that follow the master and they learn how to do those things. And some of us would do well to watch and to listen and stop thinking we've got it all figured out. I took piano for five years and I can't even play a radio. That's the truth. And and my mother's still convinced that I've got it and just won't do it. And I've tried to look her in the face and say, Mama, I love you. I would not lie to you. I cannot play the piano. I'm sorry. I, I, I hate it. I'll pay you back. Tell me how much it was. But you wasted your money on those five years. God didn't call me to that. God didn't equip me for that. And he sure didn't empower me. Because not only can I not do it, I sure can't teach someone else how to do it. But some of us, listen, you're getting to the age you say, oh, the young people ought to take over and young people need to do it. How do your children learn how to do things? They watch you and you teach them. How are young couples going to know how to be married for 43 years, for 36 years, for 27 years, for 58 years? How are they going to do it if senior adults quit God? How are they going to know how to teach and to serve and to be humble and to hear how to get through trials and tribulations if you don't 
humbly tell them. Now, you don't have to be mean when you tell them. You don't have to look gruff and bark at them. I got news for you. It ain't like the old days. Young people ain't near as scared of old people like we used to be. Don't be mean. Be humble and teach others. With the reminded that God empowered you. And I want you to get this. There are no spectators in this race. Remember when uh, the first sporting events happened last year? Remember the first golf tournament that I watched, the first one they had? It was weird because, you know, everyone knows what a polite golf clap is. And they hit something really good. It's not, oh, you know, unless you're at Phoenix. And if you're a golfer, you get that. It's, it's very polite. It's, you know, all the etiquette. Well, it was so weird because watching this golf tournament, there was no clapping. There was, there's always some guy that has already drank way more than he ever should have. And usually those who drink more than they should have should never drink to start with. But they're somewhere close to a tee box and they yell something stupid about the time they hit the ball. That's just the crazy drunk golf thing. Well, in this golf tournament, there was nothing. There was no, no spectators, no one to watch. And some of the players said, I can't hardly play. I'm used to people watching. I've gotten accustomed to having them there. Some said, I love it. I love having nobody here. I love not having to have Marshall say, be quiet, y'all. I love it. In the race of life, for the Lord, there are no spectators. You don't get to sit on the sidelines and cheer while the others walk by. If you're a member of Eastside, there are no spiritual giftedness positions. We have no team members called spectators. You're called to be in the race. Let me finish. And in so doing, we must run our race. Look in chapter 36. He said in verse 4, And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. Can you imagine that? Now, 2020 kind of resembled that, didn't it? And Moses gave commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying something that Brother Matt will never say. Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. Now there are times where we've got enough. We've got enough. You know, we raise money to help with our youth to go and we'll have enough. We don't need any more. You can give it to something else. Well, here's the deal with running our race. First of all, do what call God calls you to. God called them to bring their, their items here and they took, listen, they took mirrors. You read in this, they took the women's mirrors and made items of the furniture. They took the gold from the earrings and the bracelets and all the ornaments that were around them. And they made this stuff. And they were to bring it. Do what God calls you to because less is nothing but disobedience. God's calling you to run your spot in the race to give your life in certain manner. God's not going to call you to go further than that. He's going to call you to run your race and anything less is being disobedient to God. But get this, do only what God calls you to do. Has anybody ever called over you and said, I believe God wants you to do so and so? That always makes me so mad. And I try to keep a straight face, but somebody will come and say, Preacher, I just believe God would have you do so and so. And here's my answer. He ain't told me. But he sounded like he told you. Yeah, he told me. I said, well, then he must, you might have your signals crossed. He's telling you to do it, 
Not me. Well, but you're the preacher, so you're a proclaimer if you're saved, right? Listen, do only what God calls you to. More is disrespectful and arrogant thinking you somehow are pleasing God and saying, hey, God, look, I outgave. Do what God's called you to do. And get this. Moses didn't make a single thing. He didn't make the Ark of the Covenant. He told them how God told them to make it. He didn't make the altar for the showbread. He didn't make the lampstand. He didn't make the curtains. He didn't make any of it. But he led them and he spoke to them. Moses didn't do a thing. He simply did that which God called him to do. As they come to the instruments this morning, hear me today. There will be no participation trophies in glory, only trophies of grace. You won't get a trophy for just simply existing as a believer. And you sure won't get the trophy of the presence of God if you don't know Jesus in His grace. I want you to get this now. Chapter 39, verse 42 and 43. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work. And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, even so had they done. And Moses blessed them. Oh, to have the testimony. We did it exactly how God wanted us to do it. I want to ask you today, are you just along for the ride? If you don't know Jesus, today could be the brightest day of your life. Get in the race. Trust Him as Savior. If you're saved, get out of your own way, get in your lane, and come to the Lord and say, God, whatever you want, lead me. I know you called me. Equip me. Tell me. Show me that I may be everything you've called me to be. I'm not going to beg you because I can't do more than what the Spirit can. But if the Spirit speaking in your heart, do not walk out of here disobeying God. You need to join this church. You need to be baptized because you've been saved. And you need to get right with God. You come to this altar right now. I'll take any prayer requests. You come right now. Come. Come to the Lord.